Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Mental Golf Show. As always, I'm your host, Josh Nichols. And on today's episode, we have the Sasha McKenzie, who you probably know from being the co-founder of The Stack System, that yellow swing speed trainer stick that you've seen all over the place. He's also a biomechanist, a professor, and he works one-on-one with some of the best players in the world. He's recently worked directly with Matthew Fitzpatrick on making dramatic gains in his distance, which I'm sure you've no doubt heard recently with Fitzpatrick uh, winning the U.S. Open and recently the RBC Heritage. He's been all over the place, and Sasho has been instrumental in that and Fitzpatrick's improvement. And he's not directly related to golf psychology, I know, but I I also know that there's a ton here that can help you think differently about your improvement. So that's that's really all we're going for here. So let's go and get into this conversation with Sasho McKenzie. I hope you enjoy. How would you describe yourself, not just titles, but what you do on a daily basis? Hey, Sasho, so what what do you do? What are you what are you about? What do you spend your time doing? Yeah, well, I th- I consider myself a, a scientist with, um, um, you know, a, a strong interest in being an entrepreneur. Um, you know, I think. Um, I'm competitive, so, you know, I'm. I'm, I'm you know, I'm motivated to have uh, success in w- whatever I do. Um, but I'm also, you know, the, the science side of it is, I, you know, I want to answer questions. To me, I could be very happy also just um, satisfy my own curiosity and learning things um, about sports, hmm. uh, you know. Yeah. So basically a curious person. That's that's yeah, that's that's how you would uh, describe yourself. Yep. Yeah, yep. sure. So do you, on a, on a regular basis, are you still performing research or are you mostly being a professor or mostly being the owner of stack or what is kind of your daily duties? Yeah, mostly a professor for yeah. sure. Okay. Um, yep. Stack is, uh, you know, it, uh, I put a lot of intense focus in it, um, but uh, not the majority of my time. Um, you know, I'm still teach classes. I'm a prof. I'm in my research lab right now. Um, mm. Collected some data yesterday. Um, yeah. On? On uh, baseball, actually. Yeah. Mm. Taking a look at, uh, oddly enough, speed training in baseball. So, nice. you know, there's uh, there's some, there's some you know, overlap in um, the, the research I do and the application of it in, in the sport industry. Is there an equivalent baseball to the stack system um some kind of speed training aid or is that an open there market is, oh, there is there there isn't uh there are a few products out there but nothing that would be you know we're la- we're going to launch a, a a stack baseball product oh, okay um, nice yeah yeah and the pro it actually the the stack version of uh, the stack bat i guess we'll call it actually feels more like a bat then our golf product feels like a golf club, which is, which is kind of cool. Oh, interesting. Um, yep. Um, same principles, uh, but um, baseball has its, you know, its own nuances, but the idea is you're swinging a stick and you're trying to, if you swing it faster, <laughs> then you, you play better. <laughs> yeah. 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 Generally. And I got some <laughs> questions about that. Uh, but what's your overall progression as a golfer? And you could go as detailed or as, not detailed. I know you've, you're 
a halfway decent player now, better than that. But what's your progression as maybe a competitive player over the years? Yeah. So, you know, when I, when I grew up, golf was um, more of a hobby. I did it a lot, you know, so my parents would drop me off of the course, pick me up at night, um, and I'd play in my backyard all the time. The um, three yards that would were kind of joined together. There was no fences growing up in Prince Edward Island in Canada. So, you know, you could get 150 yards um, playing across multiple yards. Um, everybody was fine with it. Uh, so all the neighborhood kids would, you know, play golf in the backyards. Mm -hmm. Um, so took a lot of swings, a lot of reps, but it was, it was more like, I also did a lot of fishing growing up, but I never considered fishing competitive. You know, I did, I did competitive soccer, volleyball, track and field, um, hockey growing up. And, and it was kind of like, okay, well, I'm not doing this competitive sport. Uh, what do I do in my free time? Well, I'll go play golf. Um, and then, you know, it, 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 it's, it stayed that way all through high school and university. And then it wasn't really till I started doing my, my, uh, grad research in golf. Um, and I, you know, I, I did track and field volleyball at university and all of a sudden I've graduated and, you know, you kind of still have that competitiveness, but without an outlet. Um, and I thought, okay, well, you know, maybe I'll, uh, you know, put a little bit of time into golf. Um, and not even necessarily as, you know, I'm going to go play tournaments and try to play professional. It wasn't that type of competitive, but it was like, this isn't, I'm going to really focus on trying to become better, you know? Um, so I, you know, I haven't had any type of amateur career. I've won my club championship a couple of times. Um, but, uh, it was, it, it was competitive in the sense that what can I do to maximize my own performance with the time that I have? Um, and so, you know, I, I, I probably played my best golf, you know, maybe sometime in my early forties, I'm 40, just turned 45. So maybe this summer will be my, my best ever, but I get, you know, I get down to a, a plus two, um, and certainly not in my peak physical condition. Um, it's a much better athlete when I was 25, but Most you know, uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, but, uh, club head speed was still sufficiently high. Strategy was really good. Understanding of the mechanics and, I think a general understanding on if you have two hours a week to practice, this is what I should be doing. Mm. So was there a decision to not play big amateur tournaments or was it, I, I like the competition. I like getting better at golf. I like golf. So I'm going to do it because I just, because I love it, but I don't want to play a bunch of tournaments because that was just never an, um, it was always, I've got to play tournaments because I just, that's just what you do when you're a good golfer who likes competition. Yeah. I think because I didn't have that, um, uh, growing up, you know, like I can see my 12 year old now, like we're, he's got all his tournaments set out for, uh, you know, the summer. And I, I still see myself, you know, um, doing other sports, you know, I could see myself getting into that, um, more easily, but with golf, I think, um, it wasn't in my brain, but that's, you know, uh, that, that's, that's what you do. And, mm -hmm. and by the time that I started to get competitive, there was, or I, where I just had to really get good at golf. Um, I was doing so many other things in life that, um, you know, it, yeah, not a priority. Yeah. Not a priority. Got yeah. it. Got it. So what'd you do to 
to really get better? What was there? Was there an inflection point where you, where you went from I'm okay to I'm way better, and this is exactly why? I know you said something along the lines of, um, you didn't use the term deliberate practice, but actually doing the things yeah. that make you better. What What did you notice that hit that spike for you? No inflection point, just okay. slowly, you know, thinking about all the facets of the game and, and what it means to improve those skills, you know, and that, most of it tied to my research. Um, so, you, you know, like recently club head speed, you mm-hmm. know, is, is a very obvious one. Um, well, I shouldn't say obvious, but it is obvious now, but um, you know, if you were Nick Faldo, it wasn't super obvious to him back then. Um, and he won a lot because everybody around him was kind of had the same, awesome, smooth, slow tempo, you know, but now you've got Cameron Young, John Rom. There was still Jack Nicholas, but I don't think people realized, or even Tiger realized how much their dominance was because of their, their speed. It, you know, it didn't really, uh, register. Um, so that, you know, that's become a, a, for me at 45, um, you know, I'm playing right now around 114 115 as the season starts but in my late 30s i was swinging 103 104 um so you know that's a key from 30 to 40 minutes a week has to be on on speed training um putting is another a great example that came through my research you know so you see a lot of people i still see people all over the world working on their path you know hitting multiple putts that are the exact same you know you you look at what is important about being a better putter green rating is massive um it's very tough to change you know it's it's kind of i like look at green reading as your uh you know almost your ability to uh to smell or your ability to see colors or your you know your uh it's it's some people are really good you can get better at it you can use a system that gets you better at but it's it, it can be challenging to really move that needle. Um, uh, so even though it's so important to putting and maybe you're so bad at it, that you can't move the needle a little bit, but it's, um, you can quickly get to a level where it's like, okay, I've maybe maxed out my ability to regreens from, from what I can tell now, maybe I'll change my mind in a few years, but working, you know, working on where the ball hits on the face, you know, so two T's, I got to hit out of the center of the face all the time, the massive waste of time working on having a consistent stroke path seems to be a massive waste of time based on all the data I've collected. Speed control is something that you can get much better at and is, has a huge impact on, on how well you putt. Um, and, and, you know, controlling the face is, is also super important, but that that's also a tough thing to maybe um, prove on without just, without just doing reps. So, you know, with putting, if I was to boil it down to practice to see more, more putts. So if you have 20 minutes to do a putt, uh, you know, to, to putt, you should see 20 different holes at least. Um, so completely random. I'm going all over the green, maybe one golf ball, just hitting random putts, experiencing different breaks, lines, lengths. Is that the yeah. idea? Yeah. Yep. And, you know, I'm fine hitting, you know, two putts, right? Hit one putt, hit another putt. Did I read it right? Just to confirm is how are my, you know, my green reading skills. But in general, um, if I look at someone who's got a good putting practice, they've seen more unique putts than someone who hasn't. Hmm. Yeah. So if it's, if it's your ability to smell or your ability to, uh, 
that that sounds like you're born with it or you aren't you can't really improve your ability to smell there might be ways i it's uh, tougher it's, it's tougher, tougher. You, you can you you can be really terrible at green reading and get and get better at it mm. but there's it certainly seems like uh the learning curve it, levels off sooner maybe for right and it, or, or, or yeah or it seems yes uh, let me put it let me try to phrase it in another way um uh, the best players on the PGA tour sink about 50% of their eight footers. Okay. Um, if, if you, if they know the, the, the break, so if you bring them into, into my lab, we got a green behind me and, um, let's even say it's, you have to give it, you know, three inches outside, right. So it's, you know, it, it's, it's, it's got a lot of break to it. But once they know that break, they're over 90%. Mm-hmm. Once they know the speed and the line, average tour players draining those so that that is the easiest way to say look at how important green reading is right once you know you decide on an intended speed and an intended start direction and if it's correct they can execute on their intended speed and their intended start direction so it it accounts for a massive amount of, of of putting success but then if you look in the pga tour Despite you, you probably have some really good green readers, some really bad green readers, but no one's sinking 70, even 70% of the eight footers. You know, when you look at an eight footer, you're like, it's eight feet. Anybody can do this, but we're still around 50%. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's not because of face control. It's not because of speed control because of that, that, that green reading ability. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, 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 it no, Somebody, if somebody starts sinking, which isn't out of the realm of possibility in my mind, 70% like completely separates themselves from the pack. Yeah, mm. I've said this a few times and people think I'm crazy. Um, you know, someone like uh, Martin Borgmeier could step onto the PGA Tour and, and, and have a, a crazy different club as he's swinging at 150 miles an hour. Um, and completely separate himself, be an outlier in terms of distance off the tee. No one seems to have yet to meet someone that doesn't think I'm crazy. I'm like, well, why can't someone step in and sink 70% of their eight footers? You know, it, that, that is, would be such a massive difference from what, what the pack is doing. And the only way they're going to do it is if they have better green reading ability, mm-hmm. you know, um, and, and, you know, you know, this is getting a little wacky, Josh, but I, I That's think this podcast. That, okay. Um, uh, to, to me, it would be on the same, it's tough to, we don't, we understand the mechanism speed. We don't understand how someone might be able to look at an eight footer hmm. and instantaneously take in almost every blade of grass. They would see that imperfection. They would, would realize that, um, uh, you know which way the, the, the how the grain is going to affect it. They they have an amazing ability to say yes, this is exactly eight feet or eight feet two inches. Um, how's the wind going to affect it? They can take all that in and process it. You know, you know, it makes me think of like the scene from maybe this is uh, before your time, but Rain Man. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, you know, and then these these people exist where you know the toothpicks fall off the counter and there's you know 217 toothpicks and someone can be like. Instantly, there's 217 toothpicks. Or, you know, they do these psychology experiments all the time where they flash blue dots on the screen, like for 
fractions of a second, boom. And the person's like, yeah, 182 dots. And then another one, 137 dots. You know, we can't understand that. And the odds that someone can do that is also proficient at other aspects of the game. Mm. is probably pretty low, but you know, if someone can, if someone can see that first pot and after they hit it, you know, they miss the pot and then, you know, they can go seven at a 10, even if it's a tough eight footer, boom, 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 boom. You're like, okay, well, you know, it seems in the realm of possibility to me. Do you, do you know off the top of your head, maybe the longest, I don't know if you would be able to look at like a whole year or a stretch of tournaments where someone was well above 50% eight footers. Do you know of, you know, I think of like Scotty Scheffler who has, who has had some really good runs over the last couple of years. Uh, I wonder if it was something like that, or he was just hitting his irons really good, or it was 52% eight footers. But yeah. do you know off the top of your head, anyone that has gone nuts on? No, no. Spieth might be the, yeah. someone that would stick out in my mind, you know, like three or four years ago, if I got my timeline. Yeah. Um, I think it's getting uh, further for, than that. Yeah. Sorry. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> terrible. It's okay. Case. Yeah. Um, yeah, fair enough. Um, <laughs> back when he was putting heads up. Um, yeah, right. That would be a great question for, a, you know, a Mark Brody or a Lou Stagner, but I'd love to know. Right. And you can't, you can't rule out. The problem is it would have to be over, you know, I would say at least four or five tournaments minimum. Yeah. Because you can't rule out the, just the, the randomness people are always fooled by, by randomness, you know, um, there's a right. classic, uh, statistical, um, question that I, I don't know who was, but a stats prof famously said, okay, I want everybody to go flip a quarter, you know, 500 times and write down heads or tails. And he would be able to quickly scan the sheet and write, um, you know, uh, superficial results, zero, because n- people don't realize that if you flip a quarter, a coin, uh, 500 times, they're never going to put seven heads or seven tails in a row, you know, but, it, but the odds in that happening out of 500, are pretty good, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like, ah, heads, 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 too many tails, heads, tails, heads, tails, 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 tails. Oh, that seems like too much. So if you don't see that, that long streak of where things, everything just hits, mm-hmm. you know, so one round. Yeah two sure three four but give me four or five tournaments to me that means that yeah you've you've got maybe that you hit on something temporarily where all the green your green reading ability is is amazing so to to jump right into the theme of this podcast that we try to keep it mental or psychology i don't i i said try to keep it that's not true but is there do you know of any factor because this sounds like it would um is it purely I look at the hole while I'm putting or is it purely I just am born with it? Or is it, um, do you, in your experience with players that you've been around, I think if it's Patrick or, uh, I'm sure you've been around a lot of other players. So forgive me for not knowing your docket of influence that you've had, but is, is there something that you notice in players where, okay, yes, that guy's looking at the hole, that guy's doing stack putting, that guy's doing, this or that, but there's some intangible factors going on here where, okay, he's that's, this is clearly helping him in some way. And, and I can't measure it necessarily, but I can, he's got something, um, 
psychological that he's just doing really well. I don't know. Just random question, vague question, but have you noticed anything that this sets this guy apart and helps him do better? You can say that's no, a good and we question. can move on. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, the, the the only thing that stands out with you know a player that seemed to separate himself out that I you couldn't quite I couldn't quite put my finger on it would would be Tiger. You know, not necessarily yeah. with putting, but he seemed to be able to put himself in a state mm. that was very different than everybody else. Um, yeah, in terms of like I don't you know watching him walk around the course like are you even on the same right. planet as everybody right. else right now? Like, yeah, yeah, eerie level of focus. Um, yeah. Yeah. Got it. So I, I know of Fitzpatrick, he, he's had incredible success and improvement. Uh, and, and a lot of it, at least from the, um, outside looking in, it's from his insane attention to detail, his, um, you know, the stats work that he does, the, um, just obsession over working hard. It seems like being yeah. on, being on his side of it on the inside, does he, is, is there any um, misconceptions about what he's doing or is that all pretty accurate or is, is he doing something that maybe we, we all don't know? Uh, I don't know. What, what have you, what have you noticed about, about him and the things he does? You know, I think he, that that's uh, all fairly accurate. Um, Okay. Yeah. I think he's he does separate himself from uh, the majority of tour pros with his level of consistency um, in terms of of how hard he works um, and, and and he you know he not everybody treats it like a job that they're trying to optimize you know I think golf is a is a sport where you you, you, you you don't need to be super physically fit. You need to have a little bit of fitness. Um, you know, John Daly is uh, maybe a great, a great, a great example of that. Mm-hmm. Um, he's still playing some very, very good golf, played some awesome golf in his day. Back in the day, you would look at him and say, wow, this guy's in a lot of ways a physical specimen <laughs> in terms of being able to swing the driver, mm-hmm. in terms of his flexibility, mm-hmm. his, level, you know, his ability to be able to develop high forces. Um, it, it, and you can also maybe not need to practice a whole lot. There are those people out there that can just, Hey, you know, um, tiger probably right now is a good example of that. Um, he's very, very banged up. I, I I'm sure he's not practicing very much at all. Um, and he made the cut at the masters and he made the cut at Riv. So I like to put that into perspective. I, I know I'm getting away from the question. No, I got it. Uh, but, um, he's he's got some innate abilities mm-hmm. he, i'm sure he practiced super hard in his 20s mm-hmm. um but rory didn't make the cut masters jt didn't make the cut these guys are arguably they're both in the top 10 right now. i'm not sure what numbers sure, sure. they are I'm yeah. sure whatever they're at right now um and arguably could win any tournament now because they're like hey practicing hard at the peak of their games people don't recognize how crazy it is they're like oh you know he doesn't tiger's lost whatever he still made the cut at those events basically just kind of like ah, i haven't really played any competitive golf i'm probably i honestly believe he's probably not practicing very much and then he goes ah i'm still good enough to make the i'm still better than half these guys out here that are teeing it up yeah so 
But if I look at the, you know, the, maybe the long-term potential of someone's going to, who's going to continue to improve, that's where I put my money on, on Fitzpatrick. You know, where is he at right now? Is he going to get better? Um, you, you might, there's a lot of guys out there who just do not, they're great golfers, but they're not, they don't work as hard as you do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, so, um, yeah, Fitzpatrick's uh, one of those guys that does probably work harder than you do. And he he's, he's constantly looking at um, working on the right things, you know? Yeah. Yeah. How can you, how can you hone in on those right things? Uh, obviously you, I mean, is it simply these are what we've seen are the factors that make the biggest separation on others. You, you've talked about swing speed, you've talked about, uh, speed on putts, you know, those, those kind of things that as opposed to the people that spend like tiger who will put two T's in the ground and work on, hitting the ball in the center of the face. Tiger does not need to work on hitting the ball in the center of the putter face. I don't think. Right. So is yep. that how Matt knows what to practice? Do you know how Matt knows what to practice? Um, a little bit. And I'm sure that, you know, he's, he's maybe still not completely optimized in his practice, but he's, he's way better than average. Yeah. Um, and you know, I think it, it has to, it has to start with, um, you know, a, a, a global understanding of golf research, sport research in general, what matters, what can you improve? Um, what's the best way to improve it? Everything from equipment. And then you look at all the separate skills, but then you also have to know, um, uh, at the individual level, what works for this person. Um, and both of those things rely on data. You know, the answers to both of those questions means you, you need to be tracking data on yourself um, to, to be able to separate out what are the factors that, that move the needle. Um, but you, you, when you're deciding what you should practice, when you don't really know, it needs to come from the bigger science uh, picture of, of what optimizes for performance, you know, right. understanding understanding that the, you know the biomechanics of uh, of things so there's you know a, a good example is um the th you know a straight back straight through putting stroke uh dave pell's um kind of um popularized that i'm not saying that it's good or bad but you need to understand the mechanisms of why you think that's good let's go work on a straight back straight through putting stroke i like to use the example of you can see my finger there mm -hmm. right if i had to uh, take this finger. Um, it's like my screen's reverse. I'm going to have super challenge doing this. Got there it. we go. I think I can do it. Um, so if I was going to try to touch this finger with this finger and you'd be like, Oh, what's the most repeatable way to do it? You'd say, well, move this finger in a straight line. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, straight back, straight through that finger staying perfectly square. But if you actually look at what my body needs to do to move my finger in a straight line, I am yeah. rotating a whole bunch of joints. Whereas if I just locked out all my joints, I'm not saying locking out things is what you should do. Now I've got this finger moving on an arc, but I've got one muscle mm. controlling this motion, right. another muscle moving it back. If I try to move my finger in a straight line, I've got a whole bunch of muscles that need to contract. So if you're like, hey, it, it looks simpler, but did you really think about um, mm. maybe is it simpler? Just as, you know, one example of something that you, you, you know, you see even tour players working on stuff all the time. And you're like, there's not even a, 
the theory is that do you even have a theory? And then right. the theory is, is flawed. Yeah. Um, I see. So but, it's a, yeah, it's a simplicity, uh, bias that it seems, or maybe not simplicity bias, but it's, it seems I've heard this was good. This seems simpler. It seems like there's less going on here. So I, I need to do that because it would be more repeatable, more, uh, it can break down. It's harder to break down. And that's, that's, uh, not, not always a good assumption. Right. Um, if you say, okay, uh, you're working, let's take tiger. You're working on hitting the ball out of the center of the face. Okay. Do you know what your variability is now? So if you hit, let's go hit 40 putts around the green, 20 footers, five footers. Let's say they're all 30 footers. So we can just maximize. Do you know what your variability is? Well, let's first measure it. Okay. Now we understand your variability is like you were never missed the center of the putter face by more than half a centimeter. Mm-hmm. Right. That would be pretty big for someone like Tiger Woods, but let's say that's what it is. Okay. Well, how much missing does missing the center of the putter face by half a centimeter influence where the ball goes on a 12 foot putt? Let's just say that you're only sinking 33% of the time at best. Oh, you mean if you hit it a half a centimeter either side, it still goes in? <laughs> right. Oh, it, you know, it's accounting for 1% of your rollout distance. Oh, then how is this going to improve my score if I go from plus or minus 0.5 down to plus or minus 0.4? Oh, it's going to have no influence on my score? Why, why am I practicing this? Right. Yeah. Why, why does this matter? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Now, I, now for a driver, matters a lot more. The the you know, center face where, where you're going to hit where you're going to hit in the you know relative relative to a putter the variability right. that you could experience on a driver relative to a putter um, matters more so yeah mm. that's something that's something that improving with the driver is probably gonna probably gonna help a lot right yeah so so a lot of people that just I need to I need to use this training aid because I've always done it or because it seems there's a cause and effect uh, bias maybe that, that says I putted good this week and I used that training aid at the beginning of this week and it could have helped it. Who knows, but it might not be, that might not be why. So maybe people, if there's a message here to people listening, it's question your methods, question why you're doing the thing that you're doing is would this 30 minutes be uh, be better spent getting on the stack thing, right? Stack system, uh, putting, whatever. Um, but the general idea is if you don't know why you're doing what you're doing, figure out how important what you're doing is and compare it to is what's might be more important, right? Yeah. 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 What you, absolutely, you know, we, well, we all have a finite amount of time. Um, to get into maybe the, you know, some things maybe are necessary to improve your confidence. I get that. Um, you know, so if you need to, you know, in in your putting practice, if you're like, okay, I need to build up my confidence, fine. Then take five minutes to hit the same six footer 30 times in a row. So you'd be like, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I know where my start line is. I can sink these. I feel great. That's, but maybe not for an hour. Mm, Um, right, right. Um, and I, you know, it's interesting, the number of really good players, tour players 
if if they're if I ask them this question, their um, let's say their strokes gained approach starts to drop. It's kind of drops over the last two months, um, and I and uh, let's say particular with mid irons, you know, um, eight seven six, and <clears throat> they can visibly see the stats in the course. If I ask them, how is your distribution patterns with those in practice? What is the, what is your distribution square footage um, for your eight iron? How is mm-hmm. it been trending? Oh no! So okay, so you you're gonna go try to figure out something with your swing? Does your swing feel funny? Not really, but look at my strokes gained approach. Mm-hmm. Well, was it your? You need to be able to rule out. You need to be like, look, no, in practice, my dispersion. Has been stayed. It stayed tight. It, it, it's been consistent over the last year. Okay, so uh, strategy. If you if you started picking bad targets, um, is it there's a there's a uh, a disconnect between your ability to perform in practice and your ability to perform in the course? So maybe maybe it is a a, a, a psychology thing. There are mm-hmm. lots of players who have. The psychology where, you know, believe it or not, they, they, they perform better under, you know, they're going to perform better right. under pressure. They, they almost can't muster the mm-hmm. focus, the intensity. If you said, all right, let's dial in here. We're going to try to do a little session and we're going to try to measure our dispersion with uh, with your mid irons. Um, but you need to know that. That's crazy yeah. to me. If you don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I get you. Yeah. You, you need to have a baseline on yourself. And if you if you don't know what is causing you issues, then um, find that out and work on those things that if we could take something from Fitzpatrick's attention to detail and his own work ethic on the right things, I think that would be the way to do it. We can't all we don't all have the time that he has or I mean, he treats it. It is a job. It's his job and he treats it like a job. We don't all have that time, but we can take from it and learn how to do it for ourselves. Sure. Where's the, what's, you know, what's the, what's the lowest hanging fruit where are you going right. to lower your score the most, or what's going to make the game the most enjoyable. If you, if you have a little bit of time to practice, what's going to make you enjoy your Saturday round the most. Yeah. Yeah. And usually playing role. better is what's going to do that. Yep. It is for most me. Most of the time. <laughs> yeah. For me too. Yeah. Okay. So I got some, I got some questions and maybe we can, they can spin off into some, some, uh, conversation, but, uh, I, I made a call out for some, some listeners and some people I know questions for you. A lot of people know who you are. So they all, they all had, had something to ask. So we'll just start from the top. Uh, take Matthew Fitzpatrick. I, I know we're talking about him a lot, but take him out of the equation. What, percentage distance increase do you see from good players five percent is a lot say 95 miles per hour to 100 miles per hour is that a reasonable expectation for someone to improve their swing speed i mean is is that is five percent crazy or is it uh no you should that's well within the realm yeah oh that that's well within the realm yeah especially for good players especially for uh, good players in their late 30s, 40s, 50s, um, because they probably haven't done anything to maintain their speed. Um, uh, for sure, that's within the realm. I could never predict what I would need a lot of data, data that, you know, I would probably need to collect in person um, 
to be able to predict how much speed you're going to gain. I need to be able to see how hard you're going to train. Um, but at the group level, if you said you're going to take 100 people, I have plenty of data. So I, I, I know what how a group will, will perform. And I know that there's going to be, even if we take everybody who's, let's say, 100 people below 10 handicap, um, and they're all between the ages of you know, 40 and 60, I know that after six weeks, they're going to, we're going to see an average gain of six miles per hour. No question. And that by the end of a year um, and, and after, you know, probably three programs in the stack, um, lots of, you know, lots of time off in there, uh, the average will be 10 miles per hour. Some folks will be at 20. So we've got lots of people. So we've got over 20,000 users now. I can go in and look at every swing from every one of those users. Um, I can see uh, how many programs they did. Uh, how much rest they took between each swing, you know, everything's documented. And we legitimately have thousands of people who have gone from 80 to 100, from 100 to 120. Um, and, and if you go to our review page, you can see, you know, all these people like to write in and say, I did this. You know, yeah, I did this. So, yeah. um, and, and we do we do have some people uh, who who do not respond. You know, about 0.5 percent of users, one out of every 200, gain less than three miles per hour, and usually um, it, they're they're not swinging hard enough. Um, so they, it's amazing what we think. You know, how effort level. So in in speed training, you have to swing uh, beyond what you would swing on the course. That creates a stimulus, and then we adapt. Hmm. Um, and what I, you know, I'll tell a lot of people to do is take a look at Cameron Young, his on-swing course. Take a look at Scotty Scheffler. And those guys look, how does their level of body control look relative to your training swing? Right. They look like they're swinging harder in their on-course swing playing for $4 million than you do uh, in your driveway with no consequences. Um, so th th that's usually warm up. Some, sometimes people don't warm up enough um, uh, to actually get the most out of the workout. Um, mm. But yeah, sorry that I went went long there. But yeah, for sure, yeah. five miles an hour, five percent, no problem. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, Scotty literally looks like he's coming out of his shoes. So if you're not losing some control, you're probably not maxing it out, right? In training, I In don't training. want. I probably don't want any amateurs looking like Scotty Scheffler or um, uh, Cameron Young on the course, right? Mm -hmm. The idea is to, you train like that. Um, so then you raise your maximum potential. And I want more, I want the, most people to be swinging with a lower percentage of effort than they currently are now on the course. Right. That's the reality. So let's say right now you're out there swing at a hundred, but your max is 105. Well, I'd like you to be playing at 105, but have your max be 120, mm -hmm. just as an example. Right. Right. So raise so, your max to raise your normal. Is that the yeah. basic but, but philosophy? But actually feel like you're swinging easier. That's probably going to work out better for, yes. for most, uh, most amateurs. Raise your 80%. We all have heard that, hear that term. Swing at 80% when you're out there. I don't, whatever about that. And I've heard you talk about some people swing at 99% on the course. That's just kind of who they are. That's how they go about it. Uh, Pavlin's a good example of that. Right. Just max. Like 98, yeah. Right. Goes, goes at it. 
And then some people do chill out like Rory, right? For instance, someone like that and whose potential is really high, but they don't completely, you know, pedal to the metal every time. But for the majority of us raise, if you're, if your max is 120, your 80% of that is higher than if your max is 100. That's the idea. Exactly. Yeah. That's the idea. So I, someone had a question. I'm trying to find it here. There's the idea was they, there's a, there's playing golf and then there's playing long drive. And, um, and it, he's saying, is there any, uh, the term and research is deleterious effects, but is there, is there any, um, negative effects to if you all I care about is swinging harder all I care about will it, will that have an effect on the efficiency of your swing I'm I'm trying to feather in a fifth you know 50 degree wedge uh at 70 percent speed but all you've not all you've done maybe this is the answer but all you know you spent so much time maxing out your speed um, I think I know the answer, but what do you, what would you say? Uh, is there ill effects is, does it hurt your feel anything like that? No, it, it doesn't have to. I'm sure right. people could perceive that it does. Um, and I've got, you know, I've got lots of, of thoughts on this because I have, I have hard data. Um, I've worked with a lot of players, um, you know, Fitzpatrick's the great a great example where he is now using the stack and we've actually um, sent him even heavier weights um, to help with his uh, iron play. So his iron play is best when he does speed training. And in fact, now he's even using an augmented version of the stack um, to help with some of his swing feels. Um, so, you know, he just uh, a few weeks ago, he was supposed to do a stack workout on Friday of the RBC. Weather was terrible. So he goes out on Saturday, shoots minus eight, um, played in the afternoon. So he comes in the evening, signs a scorecard, doesn't go get dinner. You know, he's now leading the tournament. He goes and does a stack workout. Um, you know, so he's not thinking, gee, this is going to affect my iron play the next day. Look at the nine irons he hit, um, you know, coming in pretty good feel right so it, the the folks that perceive or maybe they're even experiencing it like literally oh look i've done the speed training and now i'm worse with my approach but i'm not saying that can't happen but <laughs> bear with me josh mm -hmm. so if you took 50 golfers you know to the driving range and you're like hey guys tell me about how you're playing right now um and let's say all of them are like oh playing great you know we we went to this amazing place where everybody was really happy with how they were their iron plays were right right you know pretty and then rare, let's say, but yeah pretty rare let's just imagine there's a little thought experiment here mm. um and everybody's pretty happy so then they continue to do normal things and practice and practice hard and do the right things in three months if we check back in on them i guarantee that at least half of them are like god you know i've lost my swing you know so w when when people say I, I used a stack and, or I did speed training and things went to crap. You, you, you can't compare it to everything's okay all the time. That, that is not the control group. Mm -hmm. The control group is that at least 50%, probably more than that will be in a state of gosh, I'm worse mm -hmm. now than I was three months ago. Right? 
Yep. So it's and then if if you if the new thing that you've done is speed training, that is exactly what you're going to blame. Mm-hmm. So that so you have to if you, you what you need to do is compare a hundred people, just normal people. Let's look at you guys and you guys just do your regular practice and let's compare hundred stackers and let's see what you guys do. Now let's compare how happy these two groups are with their iron control, their distance, whatever it is in their feel with the soft touch. And I know I'm very confident that the people that have been doing the stack training will have a net meaningful increase in their, how good their iron swing is, how good their, their, their touch is. Um, there are some things you can do at the individual level. First of all, you need to say, look, this will not hurt. Okay. My, my other aspects of my game. Um, so if you think that it will, then, you know, that there's a bit of self-fulfillment there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and tour players, this is, this is a big hurdle, right? Cause they're, this, they're earning their living. Kind of do speed training right now. Like, uh, what if I don't make the cut? Well, uh, this is an analogy I give you're in a bunker. You got your 56 degree, you're opening, you open it way up. You got your stance open. You're hitting like a couple inches behind the ball, you're hitting these shots. And you work on that for an hour. And then your coach says, Hey, come hit some uh, 30 yard low spinners with the, with your 56. It would never cross your mind to say, can't I've completely screwed my mechanics and good luck asking me to hit a full 56 from 108 yards. Huh, no chance. Because I've no. been grinding on these bunkers, it's ruined the rest of my 56. Yeah. 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 Now, if you have intent for transfer to happen, if you're doing some golf drill and the goal is to have that transfer, then yeah, there can be some positive transfer, but there doesn't have to be some, some negative transfer. So what, what I always tell people is that uh, by far the most important thing is to swing with more intensity than you swing with, um, on the course that you need that stimulus and the programs don't start you off like that. The first few phases ease you in. So you're swinging at the same level of, of effort you swing on the course. Okay. So it's not like, all right, pick up the stack and go hurt yourself. Um, <laughs> but there's absolutely no reason why you can't work on things that will positively influence your driver swing, for example. So I've, I've had people write in, I, I had this, I worked with my instructor and in having a, a nice, um, uh, going into flexion and my lead wrist in transition, mm-hmm. hitting these nice draws. I've done some stack training and I've lost it. I, you know, I'm now extending. So I'm like, well, you do your stack swing, start ingraining the flexion. Yeah. You know, it, the, the people that I w- work with um, do a lot of their mechanical changes while they're stacking because you don't have the negative consequences of, of, of bad ball feedback. This is great with juniors. Um, juniors can be really resistant to change. They've just, they've gone through this magical process where they've started to get a little bit more coordinated and make better contact. Right. But, but, but using their own self-organized, whatever it is, and you might look at them and say, this is not going to be good in the long run. You're 10 down with the driver. I realize that you're making better contact and the your ball is going better than it ever has before for you, but this is not optimal. Mm-hmm. And you're going to try to get them to change something they're doing it's going to be better from the long run, but inevitably they're going to hit the fat. They're going to top it. Could be changing a grip. You could look at someone's grip and say, you know, a classic one for me is the two thumbs straight down the shaft. You see that a lot with, with juniors. Um, and you're like, it just in the long run, I know this might not help, or maybe they're overdrawing it, overdrawing. You're like, look, we're just going to weaken your grip a little bit. Ah, oh, it feels super uncomfortable. 
what a great thing to work on with stack training, your alignment, you know, and you're like, Hey, check your grip. That's your grip. Now swing like hard as you can, yeah. you know, or, what, what, or get to a certain position at the top. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so there's no reason why you can't improve your swing mechanics while doing speed training. And the other side of it is, I've heard you talk about this before. You're, you use the term self-organizing. Your body's going to figure out the most efficient way to swing this thing as hard as possible. So in a way, oh, okay, let me, let me phrase it like a question. Do you think it would, the fact that that, that person went from a bowed wrist at the top to which it's feeling good. I'm hitting some good shots with this to when I do speed, uh, stack system, it goes away. Would you, would you make a, a leap to say maybe the bowed wrist is not the best way for you to be swinging? I know that's an individual yep. person. Would, w- what would you say? Yeah, I, I would say it's worth exploring if they were, if they're yeah. like, hitting it at 104 and I could see that there was, you know, then, then they, you know, allow the wrist to extend lots of golfers play with an extended wrist. Um, you know, Webb Simpson's is an extreme example, mm-hmm. but if then, if then their club at speed jump by 10, well, I, I'd want to say, okay, well, let's hit some balls like this. Is there a systematic issue in the ball flight? Yeah. The face is left open. Okay. Well let's, maybe we can work on ball position or change your grip. I'll take those extra miles per hour. Um, hmm. you know, so th- th- it, it, th- there might be something else. Okay. Well, yeah, your, your wrist is extended now, but you've also gotten steeper, mm-hmm. whatever it is. Let's work on that. If, if these things go with, with a higher speed, um, then let's, let's not immediately dismiss them sure. uh, because they're not working for you right now. Yeah. And my experience with a lot of players is I want to have a bowed wrist at the top that's not a good reason. I, I would right. think you want to shoot lower scores and hit it further. So let's yeah. not rule out what can help you do that. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So let's, let's hit some, some questions quickly. Is speed training the same for females and for males? Yeah. The, the philosophy is the same. Um, for sure. Uh, the, um, I would say, that the system doesn't really care whether you're male or female. We do have you uh, toggle, sure. tell us what, what what your biological sex is because there's a higher probability that the program programming will be better suited for you. Um, so just in the research that we've collected, um, there's, there's um, something we call speed sensitivity, your sensitivity to mass. So everybody, if you add more mass on the end of the stack, you swing it slower. Um, and if you don't, then it's probably a warm-up effect or you haven't done the right testing. If you add mass, you swing it slower. That's that's the way physics works. Um, and so there's a there's a slope right to that add mass. But some people have really steep slopes, so they're very sensitive. And some people have flatter slopes. Females tend to have flatter slopes. Um, and so that we they also tend to have um, more variation in their driver setups. Um, some, some will be playing 42, some will be playing 45. Henderson used to play 48 till the rule change. Males tend to have a much tighter, uh, distribution in, in driver lengths and driver head weights. Um, so the female al- algorithms in the stack app are more complex. 
than than the adult males J- just to try and hit more features of their uh of what they represent they tend to be a more diverse group within golf even though they're a smaller group right so we put actually more effort into trying mm-hmm. to make the algorithms work for them juniors <clears throat> are the most complex uh an eight-year-old is very different than a 14-year-old they have very different driver setups um, they all use the same hardware but the algorithms, so it's really important if you use the the stack with a junior that you put in the correct information, their driver length, their, their age. And, um, you know, it's been really fun. My, my, my 12-year-old's been stacking now for three years using the same stack. Uh, but the alg- I can see the algorithms adapting to his age. He's put, you put in his birth year, so it knows that he's getting older. Right. Um, and everything's adapting and changing. So it, it's like there's a trainer that knows everything about him and is customizing his programs behind the scenes as we go along. It's pretty that's, cool. That's awesome. Yeah. So there are, there are statistical differences between male and female, but the philosophy is the same. So if you're doing stack, trust it, it will, it, it knows what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Have you seen, no, we talked about uh, correlation to gaining speed and quality of approach shots. Rewind back. If you want to hear more about that, uh, I would ask him if he had any suggestions for seniors wanting to gain speed and being worried about injury. Is there, uh, is there any worry to, to injure yourself while trying to gain speed? Uh, maybe specifically for seniors is what this person's asking. Yeah. Well, you know, there's a risk of injury in every type of physical activity. Um, one, two, I'm very confident that you are much more likely to injure yourself playing golf or practicing golf, hitting balls than you are doing stack training. Um, um, there's theoretical reasons for that Im- impacting the ground is unpredictable and creates much higher forces than doing, doing air swings. Um, you still need to warm up, you know, so, you know, that, 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 that that's a big one. If, if there, there is a risk, it's that you haven't warmed up properly. I'm 45. Uh, my average stack workout time for the last three months has been about 15 minutes. I'll spend 20 minutes warming up if, wow. if I haven't done anything before. Yeah, it's just that's that's the reality. Now, if I go and hit balls, I'll start, I'll you know, hit some 50-yard wedges, work my way up, do some general stretching, not max effort, and hitting some eight irons. Now my warm-up time for stack goes from 20 minutes down to five minutes. Sure. Um, or if I've, if I've played a full round uh, or nine holes, then basically my warm up's like two minutes. I grab, you know, um, so there's more efficient ways to do it. But mm. you know, we have very close contact with all our users. They can email us in the app, and this, so this is an interesting stat. There are twenty times more people that have emailed in and said, "Hey, I've injured myself doing something other than stacking." Most of those are golfing, mm-hmm. and now, how do I get back into my program? You know, like, okay, what's, what do I, you know, we've got a nice FAQ that says, hey, look, here's the plan to get back in. And the app knows how long you've been away. Very, very few people have be- believe that the stack is what's, you know, uh, resulted in injury. And also you have to realize that, yeah, you're also playing golf and stacking. So even if you maybe believe that, hey, it was the, the, the stacking that's, that's produced. We've had lots of people use it as rehab. So we've had mm-hmm. the orthopedic surgeon say, great. They, the orthopedic surgeon realized that impacting the ground is very violent. Taking a mm. divot with a wedge, we've all experienced the pain of bad contact, mm. right? 
um, and and think to yourself, if you've got a, a wrist injury or, or some cut or something on your hand, you're going to feel okay taking air swings, hmm. right? But yep. if you're going to slam that club into the ground, that, that's a very good way to be like, yeah, you know what? That That is a violent thing. So we've had lots of people use a stack to, gen- to gradually rehab back in. My father-in-law's in his 70s. He's had a knee replacement, hip replacement, and he's uh, loving stacking. So, wow. Yeah. Okay. So I wouldn't be overly concerned. If you can golf, this is my this is the last thing I'll say about this, Josh. If you can play 18 uh, holes of golf and feel fine the next day or the day after, or you can go and hit a bucket of balls, hit 40 balls in the range, full irons, drivers, and feel fine the next couple of days, then you are all good to do some stack training. Got it. Okay. All right. Let's see. Uh, how can a user make the jump to higher speeds in the early stages when the ball shoots wildly left or right? How can how can how can we simultaneously swing fast and keep the ball in the course? So this this person's struggling with basically if I hit it further, it's just going to go further on the the wrong line. Do, yeah. How can I have confidence to, I, I want to gain my speed, but also my, should I even worry about gaining speed because I'm worried it's going to send me further offline? You should not worry about gaining speed. That is, that is not something you should be trying to do right now. If you are a 25 handicapper because you lose 10 balls um, and you top it and you hit the ground with the driver before the ball, gaining speed is, um, should not be your priority. If you and if you're not gonna, if you don't have 40 minutes a week to do any type of training, don't get a stack. It's just it's not like a quick fix training aid. The the, the stack is not for. um, Don't tell my uh, business. Got it. Uh, The stack is not for the person who's goes. I'm gonna go out and play on Saturday. I'm gonna use this thing once a week. Don't do that. if you have time over the off season that you can, if you can't use it during the season at all, cause you want to mm-hmm. golf, no problem. Gain right. your speed. That's me. Gain your speed in the off season, you know, September, October. Um, I, I don't do it. I don't do any stack in September, October, November, really. And I do mm-hmm. just enough to try to keep my speed up over the summer. Um, so now if you do have time to, I think the stack is great for beginners, even if speed training is not their main goal right now. And let me explain, but you need to have time to practice. You need to say, I do have 40 minutes to, to, to do some swings uh, during the week, two, two 20 minute sessions. Um, it is a, it is a fantastic way to work on your um, mechanics that will both lead to improved speed and better contact. Okay. If you're a high handicap golfer, hitting balls for every single swing you make will be detrimental the 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 feedback you get from bad ball contact can kill you Mm. in the long run right you i I see it all the time you need to be able to make movements with your body that generate high club head speed good movement patterns your body without being worried necessarily that the club is in the exact same position in space Mm. right so you get to groove those 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 uh, those movements, and then you can go hit some balls, right? And yeah. probably hit some punch seven irons, right? Uh, just to work on contact. But right. but learning proper mechanics with a ball all the time is very challenging because the best ball flights 
have a low correlation mm. when you're a high handicapper with the best swings, yeah. unfortunately. Right. Yeah. And you're, and something I've learned is if your failure rate is too high, you're going to, you're going to bounce. You're going to eject yourself. You're not going to learn if you're, if you're hitting one ball out of 20, well, you're, you're probably going to lose motivation, but if you're filtering in some air swings and feeling a good motion, your failure rate goes down as a percentage of your hole because that air swing was a success. Right. And the stack, you, you can feel your effort level. You've got the radar there. So you can sense, wow, that was low. If you're a high handicapper learning the game, that was low effort. That felt really good. Look how high that speed number was. That's, that's now your feedback, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. All right. I, I had more effort in that one. The speed was lower. That wasn't a good swing. Yep. Yep. Right? Okay. So on the confidence piece for yourself, let's, let's, um, an N of one, an N of Sasha for your own confidence. How, how has speed training improved your own confidence as a golfer or has it, has, has it made an effect on when I go out there, I just feel better about my game. I feel, I believe in my ability more. Has it, is there any effect there for you personally? Oh yeah. It's massive. Yeah. But, both in, in, in where you are in the fairway, um, you, it takes a special person, maybe like a Kevin Kistner to be able to turn that around all the time. And maybe he doesn't, but be like, okay, I'm, I'm the first to hit into every green mm-hmm. and almost take that as like a, you know, when he's playing DJ, I know that I played a lot growing up and be like, right, I'm going to u- use this to, to fuel myself. But there's got to be a lot of opportunity situations. You're like, this guy is just as good at hitting approach shots as me, but he's got a pitching wedge and I've got a seven iron. The reality of that has to sink in some of the time. Mm. Um, so, the, you know, Fitzpatrick had a great quote where he's like, he literally said there's a mentality now when, when you're hitting it by guys that just, it, it just gives you implicitly gives you confidence. You know, mm. it's, um, and then there's also the the uh, you know the slightly different version of the confidence you get to 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 swing freely, right? A lot of people are very steery with the driver. They're they're concerned that if they um, give up the freedom, you know, of controlling that face, that bad things will happen. Um, but you you learn that yeah, you know what I, I can feel pretty in control swinging very hard. You learn that with with, with the stack. That's that's a big one that people. You know, they uncover that feeling of like actually allowing themselves to release the club head to, to trust that it's going to square up. Um, yeah. So that's a different type of confidence. But sure. Yeah. Being able to free free up and, and swing and seeing yourself max effort on the range. Oh, wait, it doesn't break my game down completely. I can yeah. I can free up and let it go that that will transfer to the course. And then you see yourself doing it on the course and experiencing, I can swing freely. There's less to be afraid of. There's less to guard against. There's less to protect yourself against. So I'm just going to let it, let it go. And wow, I sent it by that other guy. I might try this again next time. Absolutely. You know, you're going to be hitting, uh, from spots on the fairway. You haven't been before. You're going to have higher lofted irons and some of those tougher par threes. You know, you got an elevated par three that's 180 and you're hitting in a, a four iron or a hybrid and you're like, I, I, if I carry the front bunker, I'm going off the back, you know? Yeah. Hey, now I got a seven iron. 
excellent. Mm-hmm. Right now, I've actually got a chance to to keep this thing on the on the green. That's right. Okay, so I have a selfish question, and then I'll then we'll send off. But how do you um, how do you go about doing research? Do you, how do you? Um, I mean, is it usually university uh, affiliated? Is it? Do you just sure. put out a call for people? What do you? How do you do research on golfers? Yeah, the majority of my uh, research is at at the university, and the way it works at the university is um, so. Hey, I've got a question, and that's what's awesome about universities is that you're you're free to, for the most part, um, uh, as long as as long as you have funding and a way, and a way to execute the research. I'm curious in this. Um, there might not even be a, a a clear application of it, and some of the best discoveries in the world have come through just people tinkering and, you know, mm-hmm. you know, that's long known, even though governments maybe don't seem to sure. uh, adhere to that with funding policies. But um, so then I say, okay, if it involves humans, I apply to research ethics board um, and uh, you know, maybe I'll find a, a partner um, at another university or a colleague to say, Hey, you want to help me with this? Do you need someone to bounce ideas? Oh, this is a terrible idea. And yeah, you come up with some, some methodology. I'm going to try to answer this question. Invite some participants in, get the data, and you know I, I always like to uh, start with there's researchers two two things you need to be very aware of internal validity and external validity. Um, <clears throat> internal validity uh, is what you should, in my opinion, my philosophy is what you should focus on first. If you're first trying to answer a research question that that's novel, um, and there's not much out there, first thing you should do is look see well maybe somebody else already answered this question, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and you see where the gaps are. But you want to maximize internal validity. And that means that you have a very high level of confidence that the result you see is due to how you set up the experiment. Right. Um, so I'll see a, a lot of studies. Maybe there's a training uh, aid out there that's like, look, we gave these 20 people the training aid and we measure them before and after. And now their clubhead speed's gone up. Well, did you have a control group? Mm-hmm. If you didn't have a control group, then we don't know. Uh, maybe your radar was just reading a bit higher second time. Mm-hmm. Maybe the fact that they thought they were in a study jacked them up. Maybe just that fact that they went through testing a couple of times made them faster. Mm-hmm. Um, you need a control group. So that's maximizing internal validity. So it, it's more of a lab environment. You want to make sure that that what you think is having an effect does have an effect. Then and you could ever answer everything in one study one study doesn't right. prove anything just suggests mm. then you try to work your way to maximizing external validity and so uh you know the, the speed training research i've done is a great example of that so the, the studies that i did you know starting seven or eight years ago were, were were very simple all right this group is just going to swing their driver we're going to match the training volume to this group that's just going to swing things that are heavier than their driver very simple question you're like, well, no one's ever going to do that. It doesn't matter. It's not externally valid. The question is, does swinging heavier stuff work better than just swinging your driver? Right. Hey, it does. What about just light stuff? Hey, it does. What if we now start to get, you know, a little bit more externally valid? And we start to, you know, maybe mix heavy and light stuff. Okay, great. And then now we're at the stage with the stack system where it is very, very externally valid, mm-hmm. where people are out in the wild, you know, the 20,000 of them running around with yellow sticks. Um, and we've got things like, well, not everybody has the same training environment, 
right? Some people have kids, some people are older, some people are younger, some people are playing in tournaments, some people aren't. Some people are, you know, are forced to train in Canada in the winter in their backyard in snow. And we can track them in this very, are the results applicable to the real world? Mm -hmm. So we have still tried to maintain some internal validity in that we, we have the same rest or we can track your rest. Um, we know the weights you're swinging. Um, we try to tell you the intent level. We do a pre-test that's the exact same as a post-test. So we tried our best to maintain things that will help with internal validity. Um, but we don't have a control group. Right. You know, we, we don't have people out there being like, okay, you just swing your up. We already done that research. Right. 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 So there's certain things you have to let go of in terms of maximizing internal validity, but we're in a pretty good place now with uh, being able to still improve upon our methodologies because we have so many users. Yep. Okay. So I appreciate that explanation. That was really, really good. Uh, the walkthrough of how research happens and what comes out the other end. So if you could get rid of one of the, th or if you could leave one of the things that you do, you, you, you do several different things. If you could only do one, um, and I guess this would be like, if I retired, this is what I would continue to do. What would you, what would you keep? Would you just swing a yellow stick constantly for the rest of your life? Yeah, maybe. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I don't know what I would do. Like, I still would really enjoy coming into the lab and, and I enjoyed what I did yesterday. Yeah. Collecting data. I, I you know, um, I, I need to be answering a question. You know, yeah. um, I need to be answering a question. If, if I, so with the stack stuff, it is just a massive science project. Like, mm -hmm. I, like I, I, I interact with individual stackers daily, mm -hmm. at least 10 to 20 people a day. I'm having email messages trying to figure out, okay, um, why didn't they get, why are they plateauing? Mm -hmm. You know, and eventually everybody kind of starts to plateau, but you know, Hey, this is an interesting case. This guy's not gaining speed. Um, I really want to know why he, why he or she is not gaining speed, you know, or, you know, so if you, what well, you're not going to see the stack do, you know, if you were purely business is say, okay, well, we need to come up with another SKU, right? Like, okay, we got this, let's come up with a different product. I don't care if it works or not. Let's sell this thing. Do I learn anything from that? Right. You know, is there any science? Right. I don't want to do that. Yeah. That's, that's not good. The, the the putting that we're coming out with, so <laughs> uh, we, we're going to have stack putting, is all, totally motivated about getting people better and, and understanding more. So the, the focus, we're, we're right now we've got the app functioning and we're going through testing it. And all my focus is on uh, the data that we are going to collect and how best to have the individuals see that data so they can maximize their performance. You know, that that's that's all the focus. It's like, Oh yeah, but we also have to figure right. out that there's some kind of business model associated <laughs> yeah, with this, right? You know, um, but uh, yeah. So you know, if if I had to pick something, I don't know. It, it could be you know, in the stack side of things, it could be the universe. But I have to be answering questions. Yeah, got it. Okay, you're just gonna be a philosopher. That you're you're just I, thinking constantly. I I guess so. That's when I'm happiest. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, cool. I, I really do appreciate your time. You're, you're extremely generous. You, you got back to me quickly. You wanted to do this. This is awesome. So, um, your, your authenticity comes through. So I really do appreciate it. Oh, cool. Well, thank you, Josh. Yeah. So if someone wanted to 
follow you, find you, where would you send them? What would you, what would you have them go do? Yeah. Uh, follow me on Twitter. Um, yeah. you know, and you know, it's too bad. Twitter doesn't, you know what Twitter should have. Twitter should have a way to be like, Hey, you follow someone and be like, Hey, give me some kind of like package, some highlights of the media they've shared. I guess you hmm. can just scroll through the timeline, but now, nah, you know, there should be some better way to, to package that. Yes. Should be, it should be like ordered by like, um, let me see their uh, most interacted tweets. Yeah, that's right. a good idea. And that, um, I mean, you could compile that yourself. That would take a lot of work. But you're saying you want someone to be able to go to you and just see your top hits. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you'd be like, oh, I'm going to follow this person and be like, hey, give me their, you know, give me a reel of their highlights or something. You know, like your iPhone does like every once in a while the memories pop up. Yes. And watch them enough. But you're like, oh, that's something like that. You follow the yeah. person, you're like, hey, here's, let's summarize the impact that this person's had and, you yeah. know, um, and maybe some filters you could put on there, like, uh, just over this period of time or, yes, but that's a good idea. But I put, I've had a, you know, a ton of, uh, high quality content that I've just kind of shoved out to Twitter and not really, um, you know, promoted it. I never, right. I don't, I, I'm doing a terrible job in social media. Uh, there's also, if you're interested in speed training, um, just from a learning perspective, go to our FAQ mm. on the the stack system, and there's probably I just I just dumped everything into our FAQ. It's very organized, you know. But I've got some at the bottom of our FAQ, for example. I've got some uh, l- like really good, high quality lecture content um, on um, uh, speed training, uh, like the philosophy of speed training neural mechanics and biomechanics speech training like some really solid information there um yeah but yeah you could probably spend you know a good two or three days just in our faq watching videos yeah learning um learning i'm also i got some stuff on vimeo google me i get stuff all over the place i probably need to organize my life a little bit better that way you're all right. People, if people want to learn from you, they'll find it. You've got lots of stuff out there. So I, I think the internet's organized it for you. I think you're all right. Yeah, fair, fair. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much, Sasha. This has been awesome. Okay. Thanks, Josh. All right, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Sasha. I really loved that discussion we had about putting and the things that don't really make sense to put that much time into but also the importance of green reading and distance control. Just some really, really good stuff about maybe just thinking better about the things that you're doing. Is this helpful? Is this not really making that big of a difference? What are the low-hanging fruits? What are the things I should work on based on my own data? I think Sasha is a fascinating person who has given a ton back into the golf industry. So to get to talk to him for over an hour... Uh, take it, take my word for it. It was really, really cool. So I hope you took some notes because I know that was, uh, some really valuable stuff. And while this discussion wasn't directly about golf psychology, I thought I'd mention here that I've opened up some more slots in my schedule so I can take on some more of my coaching clients. So if you feel like what you hear on the mental golf show just doesn't quite cut it, you're wanting some more, you're wanting to work one-on-one with someone, I'm a golf psychology coach. I work with players all over the world on improving their minds so they can improve their performance on the course. If you'd like to get in touch with me, feel free to send an email to mentalgolfshow at gmail.com or visit my website, joshnicholsgolf.com to learn more about working one-on-one with me. 
Okay, thanks again for everyone listening to this podcast. Whether you're new here or you've been here since day one, I really appreciate the community we've built. The show has gained thousands of new followers, which is crazy to say, so we must be doing something right around here, I guess. If you've enjoyed this episode, go subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Those reviews are racking up, actually, so it's, it's cool to watch. And I would love it if you shared this episode with a friend who spends maybe too much time doing that Tiger T drill. Who knows? Okay, thanks for listening to The Mental Golf Show. I'm Josh Nichols, and I'll catch you guys next time. <laughs>